Well, we began last week um, a series that's going to take us about six weeks that we're calling Revealing the Father. We started on Father's Day. And we're diving into this out of a deep conviction that God desperately wants an intimate relationship with you, with me, with us. He desperately desires that. And yet there are a lot of false images of God that we have um, been taught over the years, that we have kind of absorbed through um, our experience with church, through things that have happened in our lives, through our culture. Um, And those messages about who God is, about his nature, about his character, um, have made it hard for us to want to draw near to God. And yet he's a loving father. He deeply desires intimacy with us. And so in order for us um, to be able to engage in that relationship, uh, we need to unpack kind of our assumptions about God, and we need to um, center ourselves in who God really is. And so we're taking some time to do that over the next few weeks. And we are firmly convinced that in order to know God the Father, it's critical that we know Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God and that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So we can learn about God the Father then through Jesus. Last week we looked at what we could learn about God the Father through Jesus' relationship with the Father. We looked at a couple different encounters with the Father um, in Jesus' life. But we can also learn about God the Father through Uh, how Jesus acts through his actions uh, and also through his words. What does Jesus say about the Father? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is is some of Jesus' words about God the Father. So last week, Mark reminded us that that God is an intimate God. And we looked at um, Jesus' baptism. We looked at Jesus' experience in the temple as a young boy. And we heard these words... um, that God spoke over Jesus in his baptism, that that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, Mark reminded us that this intimacy that Jesus experienced that we read of in the Gospels is an intimacy that we are invited into, something that is promised to us because we are God's adopted kids. Romans 8 reminds us that as God's adopted kids, we are heirs of everything that Jesus was heir to. So God is intimate. He is loving. We can discover pieces of this through through looking at Jesus' relationship with God. And we started there last week with the intimacy of God, the love of God, because it's critical that that we own that, that we believe those things about God before we are going to be able to settle into the truth that we're looking at today. And that is that God is our faithful provider. So I'm going to read a portion um, out of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest of Jesus' sermons in Matthew 5 through 7. And as I read this particular passage out of Matthew 6, I want to invite you, um, if if closing your eyes helps, um, close your eyes, but to simply um, allow your imagination to engage with the imagery here. There's a lot of different um, pictures that Jesus uses as as he teaches here. And so as we as we Read this. Um, Let's reflect on God as our faithful provider. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. 
is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, as we reflect this morning on these words, we ask that you would meet us here. Bring these words alive for us today. We desperately need you to be our provider. And yet there are often times where we have a hard time trusting you. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. Now, if you were raised in a healthy home, you never had to question that you would be taken care of, right? In a healthy home, as a child, uh, food appears on the table shortly after you are hungry, hopefully. If you have a bad dream, you are comforted. If you scrape your knee, there are endless band-aids and neosporin to go around. And every night ends with you snugly tucked into your bed with a kiss and a bedtime story. But all of us somewhere in that growing up journey realized, like Jim Carrey realized in The Truman Show, that this idyllic upbringing that we have thought was reality is really just a carefully constructed illusion put in place with the best of intentions by our parents to protect us from the harsh realities of life. Oh, it's a hard moment when we realize that. But in the real world, bad things happen all of the time. Philando Castillo is killed and his murderer is not punished. In the real world, young pregnant mothers are killed by the very police that they call for help. In the real world, people we love die. Children go hungry in the summer months when they should be playing and having fun. Governments implement policies that injure the very people they are supposed to serve. This is the real world. This is life. And yet, Jesus tells us that God is a faithful and a loving provider. Now, if you're paying attention here, this command 
alongside the realities of life should create some dissonance. The harsh reality that we are struggling to survive crashes into Jesus' words, and there is a very strong impulse to simply reject Jesus or to reject what he is saying as false. So in the face of reality, in the face of the news, in the face of the tough situations that you are dealing with in your personal life, how can we possibly accept Jesus' claim that God the Father is a faithful and loving provider whom we are to surrender ourselves to? That is a risky thing to do. Well, the only possible way is by anchoring our knowing of God in the right place. And we are saying that that right place is Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that we encounter the goodness of God, the unconditional love of God. It's in his relationship with the Father that we witness the intimacy of the Father, the devotion of the Father. And so we can't possibly hope to rest in God's provision in the face of the realities of life, unless we first experience and believe in the love and devotion of God made manifest for us in Jesus. That has to be our starting point. Now, Jesus speaks here of birds and flowers and grass, and this would have been the stuff of the world all around him as he was teaching, all beautifully dressed and fed by God. We could read his words to be like them as a call to laziness, right? They're not doing anything. They're just hanging out in the field, waiting around for God to dress them. But that would miss the point, and we know that. The point that Jesus is making here is that our faith should not simply be limited to spiritual things. God is not only our redeemer, he's also our creator, He's the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. He cares about our bodies and our souls. And as the giver of our life, of our bodies, he also is deeply invested in clothing them and feeding them. And as we can see here, he's not interested in doing that merely adequately, right? Not just feeding us gruel and dressing us in rags. He refers to the flowers of the field being even more elaborately adorned than Solomon in all of his splendor. And that evokes an image of God as an exuberant artist, smock covered in rainbows of paint as he's splattering his creation lavishly. There's a central theme here, a call not to worry. Jesus says that, four different times in these nine verses. Don't worry. But we need to recognize what this passage doesn't say. It doesn't say not to worry or be unconcerned about whether others have enough to eat or wear. When the four and the 500 are hungry, Jesus tells his disciples to give them some bread. When the young girl is raised from the dead, Jesus tells her family to feed her. Jesus clearly cares about our physical reality. 
But his challenge for us here is to get our eyes off of ourselves, our lives, our anxieties, and to turn them instead to God. To stop investing energy in acquiring things and start deepening a relationship with the giver of those things. This is not the way that the world trains us up. Our world tells us that the antidote to worry, to anxiety, is having an ever-increasing amount of stuff to provide us security. We're taught to give our lives over to the pursuit of the God of success because there we will have freedom from anxiety. But we have all experienced the lie of that. That the more we pursue things, the more we worry over the potential loss of those things, that stuff. But throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus wants his disciples to look different, to be free from the world's obsession with how we are doing and instead to become obsessed with how God is doing, what God is up to in the world. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, the righteousness of God, and all of these other things will fall into place. Jesus encourages us that our Heavenly Father will give us our daily bread, the things that we truly need. He will give us the necessary physical, emotional, professional securities, all these things that we so anxiously chase after, but that he's not going to do it by the regular route, not by our pursuing them. But rather, when we seek God, when we seek his kingdom coming on earth, all of these other things will come as well. While we are busy engaging in our relationship with God in the living room of our life, imagine that those groceries are being brought in the back door and placed on the kitchen counter. As our focus is on God, our needs will be quietly met. Now, many of us struggle to reorient ourselves, to shift our focus to God and away from the concrete, practical needs of ourselves and the world around us because we don't fully trust that God is going to follow through on this promise. I wrestle with this so hard because I look around and I'm like, yeah, really? Because there's a lot that seems to not be getting done here. And so I have this, this impulse, this need to like dig in and to work harder and to work longer and to do more because there are people that are, that are hungry. There are people that are homeless. But if you are like me, the more you dig in, and the more anxious you get, right? And then the more ineffective you are. Martin Luther had some good insight into this. and I'm going to put it up here because it's a little bit long. It says, if God is kindly disposed disposed to a man and gives him success. He can often accomplish more in one hour without care and anxiety than another man in four whole days with great care and anxiety. Thus, no one can accomplish anything except when the hour comes that God gives us a free gift without our anxiety. It's vain for you to try to anticipate and with your concern to work out what you think are great schemes. What he does is this. When he sees someone fulfilling his office diligently and faithfully, being concerned to do so in a God-pleasing way, and leaving the concern over its success to God, 
He is generous in his gifts to such a person. I need to pin that up on my mirror. God can and does get more done in less time through people living in right relationship with him than he does through those of us who try to gird our loins and just power through on our own strength. But it is hard to live free of worry and anxiety in the face of a very troubled world. It is. And yet it's what Jesus is calling us to. It's the invitation that is placed before us. But it's a reality that is only made possible through an intimate relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. Trusting that He is involved, in control, and true to His word. And so when we doubt, when we find ourselves with that anxiety meter cranking up, if there's any way to kind of set a, an alarm bell for ourselves, to remind us that the solution is not to double down and work harder, but to simply return to the starting point. Return to Jesus. And to simply sit with him and be reminded of who he is. That in Jesus we see that God is good. God is loving. He has given so much for us. And that will continue. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 91. It's the one that says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Many of you have met Rita, my spiritual director, and she's led some of us through an exercise of creating an inner sanctuary of the soul where we can kind of drop down into and reside with God in the midst of the craziness of life. And, and it came to me recently that that inner sanctuary for me is literally wrapped in God's loving, protective wings. And my sister-in-law, Becky, is an artist, and she doodles during sermons. And I may have shown this picture before. Um, she did this sketch during a sermon, I think during Advent one year, and she sent it out as a Christmas card. And I had it sitting in front of me while I got up in the morning for long enough that I finally asked her to blow it up for me. And so it's now this big over my bed. Um, because this is what I long for, right? I want to be nestled. I want to be that protected child that doesn't have to worry about anything. I want God to put Band-Aids on my boo-boos and sing me a goodnight song and really to believe that that is all that there is. Um, I've always pictured this scene as a very um, protected, safe place. And then I came across um, something from Neil Plantinga this week. He was the former president of Calvin Seminary, and he, he made me look at this image, um, God's provision, a little bit differently. And so I wanted to read one more quote, and I'm sorry for the, the long quotes here. Um, he says, we are like fledglings who scuttle under the wings of their parent. The forces of evil beat on those wings with everything they have. The pitchforks of the evil one, falling tree limbs in the storm, merciless rain and hail, everything beats on those wings. And when it's finished, when evil has done its worst, those wings are bloodied and busted and hanging at wrong angles. And to tell you the truth, in all the commotion, we too get roughed up quite a lot. But we are all right. 
because those wings never folded. They are spread out to be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And when the feathers quit flying, we peep out and discover that we have been in the only place that was not leveled. Yes, we have been bumped and bruised and hurt, sometimes badly hurt. But we are okay because of the sheltering wing of our parents. There's a song by Scott Kirpain. This I'm dating myself. This is an old song, but um, that has a line in it that says, "Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child." Now, I spent um, a couple summers in Nairobi, Kenya, and I was there the summer that the American embassy was bombed. And the place that we were living was on kind of the main road out of town. And the day after that bombing, I mean, you can imagine it leveled a multiple buildings in downtown Nairobi, the road became like a freeway out of town and we were watching it through our window. Four white women in Nairobi the day that the embassy, American embassy was bombed. We should have been freaked out of our minds. And yet as I sat in that room, I had the most amazing sense of being held. That God was saying, I've got you. You are okay. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Well, in a broken and a battered world, ravaged by the effects of sin, we want more than that. We want to return to the shelter of our parents' winged embrace, to that innocent place where we truly believed that that was everything. And God does promise that one day, one day, that will be. That all things will be made new, that every tear will be wiped away, For now, it is enough knowing that God is with us in the storm. That he is sheltering us with his wings. Perhaps not keeping us from being battered and bruised, but taking that beating with us. For today, let that provision, God's presence, let that be enough. We're going to come to the Lord's table now. Um, a wonderful image of God's presence, of his provision for us. Um, so let's take a moment to simply be, be silent and to, and to ready ourselves to receive these gifts from the Lord.